hey y'all we're bible bitches and laura's got on some horns low-key horns to be accurate they are low-key but they oh you mean low-key ah they're (laughs) low-key low-key horns yeah they are (laughs) because they're not the like massive ones right right yeah they're They're not the battle horns they're subdued they're subdued they're understated if you will they are. They are. They're like biz cash. They're biz cash words. <laughs> you would definitely wear these with uh, nice jeans and a sports mm-hmm. coat for sure. Which I actually have to a silent disco before. <laughs> it was a costume party. It was a costume party. And so you wore business casual? Yeah, because it, so um, it was, <laughs> I was uh, President Loki and President Loki has like a, a suit like a suit top on so it actually worked out to do biz cash <laughs> did you carry a briefcase oh no, i didn't <laughs> it was i had like i had a president loki button and uh the horns hilariously enough um there was a very drunk woman who uh danced up to the group that i was with and uh she was like oh it's the devil and i was like nope <laughs> I literally had a button that said Loki. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, fantastic. I love it. Segue. Yeah. Yeah. So I am here. I am Sarah Hoff. I'm here with I'm, Laura Barclay. Yeah, that's me. And you are it currently in LA, California. And I am yeah. currently in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, yeah. And today. We are actually doing the first of a two-parter um, on Marvel in the, the MCU and Gods and Monsters. I'm very excited about this as a Marvel nerd um, and, you know, a longtime Marvel nerd. I actually grew up reading um, X-Men comics and um, have seen every single um, MCU movie several times. Um, I'm a huge fan. Uh, but don't do not worry if you are not, because Sarah Hoff is not a huge MCU fan. So she's here to make sure that this is a very accessible two-parter that we're starting um, that is, is far, has far more universal appeal. Sarah, tell us about your approach to the MCU. My, my approach is that I, I just think as a general rule, any any movie longer than like three hours and 15 minutes should have a like a a pause it should have an intermission is what i'm saying that's fair what about the mcu films that are less than that have i seen one like yeah, okay ragnarok was that less than three hours oh that's yeah so long what it's so, it fun. so long i was like i was like are we are we done now it's a taika watiti party no. he's adorable he has like five minutes in the film i mean but he's also the director yes he is which makes it even more adorable it's two hours and ten minutes is it really yeah most of the marvel films are way under three hours what yeah well, maybe that's maybe that's my bad Maybe I just, you know, I'm a product of, I don't know, insert generation and their lack of ability to concentrate. You're just not a superhero movie person. 
Yeah, well, there's also like always a lot of uh, CGI and mm-hmm. and like fighting, and I'm kind of like, I like a more story driven plot, or oh, maybe a more yeah. like personal development plot. Oh, you're like you're like character driven, and I'm plot driven. Yeah, yeah, that's the maybe, difference. Maybe that's why I like a good like psychological horror film yes but I do not enjoy any of like that gore bullshit yes yes any friend I've had that I talked to that's really into character development over plot doesn't really care for MCU but um anyone that's really into plot seems to like it so um that's fair I think that's that that is a understandable difference so we're here to actually balance this and actually delve into the character of some of these uh, characters um, and particularly what we're going into today um, in the beginning of this two-parter um, is about uh, the royal family of Asgard, particularly um, Odin, Frigga, Thor, and Loki. Um, and I have my own opinions about who are the gods and monsters in this crew. Um, today we're going to focus on how they are portrayed in the Marvel films, not um, in the Norse mythology, but there is some overlap in their characters and typology to the abilities um, and character traits that they display in historical Norse mythology. For instance, um, Loki is a trickster with a giant as a father um, in Norse mythology, but he is not actually thought of as Thor's adopted brother, um, but more of a foreign resident among the Aesir or Asgardian gods. Hela, who appears in Thor Ragnarok as Thor and Loki's evil older sister, is actually based on one of Norse Loki's children called Hel, uh, though she is, she's kind of the, the goddess of the Underrealm, though he is childless in the MCU thus far. And just in terms of the family structure, you have um, Odin and Frigga as all father and all mother. And then you have Thor as presumably up until now, their oldest child, right up until um, Thor Ragnarok, uh, with uh, Loki being the uh, younger, queer, adopted brother who finds out that he is not even as guardian um, by birth. He is um, a frost giant. And then later on, we find out about the, the older sister, Hela, um, who has been relegated to another realm. Um, Sarah, why don't you take us, take us from here and kind of go through in detail the family structure. Sure. Yeah. So um, like Lara was saying, uh, very much like the Norse gods of old, they're flawed. They're fucked up just like humans. They have complicated family structures. So Odin, the father is distant and angry. Frigga is the loving, attentive mother. Hela is the eldest Um, who helps her dad massacre and conquer before he became a more quote-unquote benevolent and locked her away to stop her. Yeah, and so so essentially what happens in Ragnarok is that uh, he has, he banishes her because they have a disagreement. He wants to stop conquering and she wants to keep going. She's like, you trained me to be a conqueror. That's what I know how to do, right? And so he banishes her and kind of rewrites history as to how, Asgard came to be um, and how the nine realms happened. And he kind of rewrites himself as this benevolent God. Um, And so his children don't even know Hela exists. Um, 
and uh and and he doesn't tell them about Hela until he's literally dying and about to sort of dissolve into the ether. And then he's like, mm, Ragnarok's starting. It's Hela's about to arrive. Uh, sorry. And then he just like bounces. <laughs> and literally like five seconds later, Hela appears. Yeah, that's wild. Um, <laughs> so like during this time, uh, Thor thinks he's the eldest and is arrogant and brash at the start, but is actually the middle child and Odin's new hope for a future king. Loki is the adopted bisexual frost giant son, which by the way, on like on an aside, in some portrayals, he is gender queer. So would he would use they them pronouns and in some betrayals portrayals, he is pansexual, but in the MCU universe specifically, they use he, him pronouns and is bisexual. But in any case, he is kind of a scapegoat. Um, he is left to discover that he isn't Aesir. Like- Aesir. So Aesir is kind of like a word for the, um, the Asgardian gods. Um, so he, he thinks he's born and raised Aesir. Turns out he's just raised Aesir. Um, he's actually yeah. a, a frost giant. giant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who Odin stole during one of his conquests and intended to use as a puppet king before Odin changed his mind. So, like, what was his intent there? What was Odin's intent there? Yeah, Odin's intent was initially before, then this is before the original Thor film, he thought that whenever he would, um, whenever he invaded the Frost Giant's kingdom, um, that, and, and the war was going on between them, he he took Loki. Loki was left out in the cold. So Loki, so, so Odin says, I don't know, but Odin says, Loki, you were left out in the cold. Like you were abandoned. And I took you in because I felt sorry for you, but also because um, if I took out the king, then I could install you on the throne as our frost giant king right uh in that realm like our puppet king as and uh and then ultimately there was a peace that was made between um the asgardians and the frost giant kingdom and so he didn't need to do that plan anymore so he raised loki um as an asgardian and uh but and never told him he never told him so loki doesn't find out that he is a frost giant until he encounters um and i'm not going to get into the nerdy bits but he encounters a relic that turns his skin blue and he realizes something's wrong with me and I'm different. Um, and is that, is that when he becomes a white Walker? <laughs> it kind of looks like it, right? Like in the, if you go back and look at the first Thor film, you're like, what is this a little game of Thronesy? Um, but he's like, why am I looking funny whenever I encounter this? And he asks him and he's like, what's, why am I different? What's going on? And there's this, if you, if you've never seen the original Thor, there's a very powerful scene between um, Loki and, and, and Odin, um, where he's just like, tell me what's wrong with me. What's, what's going on with me that I'm different. And Odin is finally made to tell him what's going on. And then, um, it actually kind of breaks Odin and he falls into like a sleep. Um, it's very dramatic. What, uh, what made him tell? Uh, just being confronted one-on-one Loki was like, you know, it looked, at, at that up until that point in the movies, it's not made that there's any really real conflict between Loki and the rest of the family, other than he just he's he's kind of a helper to his brother up until that point. He kind of goes along with with Thor's antics, and then he finally kind of starts to be like he's kind of calling him out on it and being like, "You're being a little 
brash. You're, 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 he, he kind of is starting to view Loki or Loki is starting to view Thor as being a little headstrong and, and a little um, arrogant. And so in the first part of the, it's really interesting now if you, if you've seen uh, and been familiar with the Loki character arc to go back and watch the first film. Cause you're actually like, he's the more mature brother up until about a third of the way through the film. Cause he's kind of like, brother, kind of calm down. Maybe don't go uh, headstrong into battle. Maybe chill out a little bit. Uh, and then, and then he finds this, he finds out his dad's been lying to him for his entire life. And then he kind of cracks. So fair. <laughs> fair for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Um, so a thing that I find interesting theologically is that these gods are more accessible as flawed humans um, and they make similar mistakes to humans and human monarchs, right? Um, you have Odin lying to his children. Um, you have Odin essentially pitting his children against each other, um, engaging in colonialism and war with all these different realms. He's scapegoating the queer child, right? Um, assuming a patriarchal, uh, emotionally detached family structure. Loki is the more sensitive child, connects with his mother, but he's not sure of his place. And his adopted mother Frigga only has so much power as, um, as Odin is clearly the head of the family, the all-father in the monarchy and thought of as a god by many. So Frigga teaches Loki the covert power of magic that she's learned, um, which seems more kind of like a feminine power versus the traditional masculine power of war that Odin and Thor are skilled in. Again, Laura knows more about this than I do, but from what I understand, um, everybody like gets some credit except for Odin in this story because everybody else like has a proper character arc. Like they develop their humanity throughout. So for example, like Frigga attempts to stand up to Odin for banishing Thor, but he is stubborn and <laughs> won't listen. Thor learns humanity and value from humans apart from what he's been taught on Asgard and becomes more like a Keanu Reeves character in Point Break and like a and less distant Shakespearean god. A traumatized Loki goes from trying to conquer Earth after this mental break in Avengers to realizing that he can be a hero at his brother's side in Ragnarok, partly because his brother's dogged attempts to love and accept him. Hela was taught to be a genocidal maniac by Odin before he tells her to stop. It's all she knows how to be. So, you know, who is the real monster here? Right. I think all roads lead back to Odin being the real monster. Um, his distant, angry parenting uh, fostered two angry conquerors and a douche, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, Loki and Thor were able to grow out of this and into their full potential through their own experiences um, with each other, growing alongside of each other, and in, in some cases in opposition to each other. Mm -hmm. Thor needed his found family of the Avengers on Earth, and Loki needed his brother continually attempting to love him unconditionally really that's so sad i mean this is like generational fucking sin 101 right exactly anyway, and um, trauma yeah. and trauma yeah um so anyways whatever odin tells thor and loki about their evil older sister hella as he's dying knowing that his death will bring about the return of hella and set in motion the events of ragnarok or 
the end of Asgard. So it's incredibly douchey that he didn't prepare them or tell them anything. He's the worst father because he can't communicate, um, which is ironic because a title for him is all father. Actually, like the only thing that Odin is correct about is that Thor is more powerful and better than him. Um, So there's like kind of a hope that Ragnarok is the last time he asks his deceased father for advice in Valhalla because you you dumb lovable lunk you are better and in fact he gets a sense of renewed purpose in a time traveling encounter with his deceased mother Frigga yeah and uh, so um, I'm glad you brought up Frigga because um, I think that uh, if you compare him talking to his he, he has this encounter with his dad um in Ragnarok towards the end where he's um being beaten by Hela um and he's like I can't do this I can't do this and he's like he's like I'm not as strong as you and he's and and I think Odin's line is no you're you're right you're stronger um and uh and it kind of frees him from ever I I think that in a way frees him from ever having to ask Odin for help again right um he can kind of be his own person and he figures out at that point what he needs to do to save the people of Asgard. Um, and later on, after he's lost a version of Loki, um, he he has to go, he falls into a deep depression um, and after Avengers Infinity War, and he has to go back in time in Avengers Endgame and, and he runs across his mom and he's lost faith in himself. And he has to ask his mom, he starts to just unload on his mom. And, and she's like, no, I, I know that you're not my Thor. I know that you're a, a different version of Thor. And so don't tell me like you're about to kind of violate some time travel rules. She, she gets it. Like she knows. And she's yeah. like, she's like, but she tells him, you know, she essentially is telling him to believe in himself and that, that she loves him. And it's back to this kind of theme of love, this kind of nurturing. That's that's ultimately what ends up, I think, saving Thor and Loki uh, with each other is this is this message that Frigga has been trying to tell them all along, which is is this kind of love and nurturing message. And and the three of them, I really think, are way more healthy people than Odin is. Um, and so it's kind of wonderful that he ends up having this. I guess, post-death moment with both Odin and Frigga. Um, and ultimately, I think her, her encounter with him helps him to be more emotionally in tune. And so he's continuing, Thor's journey is one where he's continu- continually working on his emotional intelligence. And it's ultimately Thor's emotional intelligence that makes him a stronger person um, and, a, and stronger as a superhero, um, which is lovely. Um, and, you know, I think what's interesting is the way in which we feel we can comment on these godlike MCU as guardian characters is very similar, uh, to the Norse stories where they squabble and they fight and they make mistakes and they're petty and they're shitty and they're awesome. And they're, they're all the things, um, it's modernized, but it feels very similar to the old stories. Um, they're accessible in a way that Christianity is not always like, can we really access a father God who would allow his son to be sacrificed, who is also himself, but not himself. 
what are this God's motivations, right? Christians still argue about this to this day. There is an overlap though with Odin on this as he, uh, the Norse God Odin sacrificed himself on the world tree Yggdrasil in order to gain knowledge before coming back to life. So Norse stories can be mysterious and distant as well, but there is also this kind of side where they just own their petty pettiness and shittiness and their relativity to humanity. Yeah, but that's kind of the thing, right? Is like just the word mythology allows us to critique it from a different angle than if the story was told as a story of of true faith, right? Like if we were to tell the story as like God and Jesus, Christianity would have a very different kind of take than this critical eye of like, well, Odin's kind of a douchebag and Mm-hmm. you know Thor is finding his humanity and so I'm like kind of bumping up against this kind of I- this idea of like you know the question you ask of um, can we really access a father god who's who would allow his son to be sacrificed who is also himself but not himself what are this god's motivations because well yeah I mean like that's the crux of Christianity is like people wanting to access this god who is both himself and not himself and killing himself but not himself his son and so i i i mean like there are a few different ways that i want to question that one is just why are this if if the belief for even progressive christians isn't necessarily about the um isn't necessarily about the like factual evidence if it's more about this kind of like well these are like this is a good doctrine and we you know Jesus had good things to say and things like that how why isn't the rest of the bible being more critically examined um and not in just ways that are like helpful to our social milieu in ways that like we're going to reinterpret reinterpret this but then also like how are we approaching other parts of it um and then also what what are these god's motivations like i don't know if i've read i mean like i've read a lot of philosophy and a lot of theology but i i can't recall anything like i i remember studying a lot of things that are like justifying God as motivations right like where they're like well this was the outcome and so we're going to backtrack from there and be like well God must have been doing x y and z in order to make in order to like contextualize the event as something that's like beneficial to God's people Mm -hmm. but it's not it's not critical in the other way where you're just like taking it like fully taking a step outside of it and being like is this right? Mm-hmm. Is this okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I no, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Sarah. I'm actually really excited about delving into this in the next episode um, because I think there is a way at, at, 
there is a way in which watching these films for me has been, um, we can examine this family structure, right? Um, as, a, as a marriage and family therapist, I can take a look at this and I can pull all these characters out and I can go, oh, you know, I can, I can diagnose this. I can talk about the family system. I actually love doing that. And, um, and there is a way in which that is completely inaccessible. Um, when you, it's accessible when you put uh, entertainment or mythology or, or something like that, you slap those labels on it. But when you boop over to um, kind of an active religious uh, context, um, a lot of people sh- kind of shun that idea or pop away from it and go, I don't know how to do that anymore. Um, and, and it just seems, uh, it seems not possible. Um, well, it's not. I mean, like, yeah. that's kind of thing, right? Is that the progression or like the, the character arcs of these people are all leading them towards a more humanity-based personality or like mm-hmm. understanding of the world, which is antithetical to this idea of a godhood who yes. should know and understand everything about this world and is acting according to you know, all full knowledge, full knowledge of like everything. Mm-hmm. And so to question that God's truth, to mm-hmm. like imbue that God with humanity mm-hmm. means that it like, I mean, that's, that's like, that's the first thing to go, right? Like that's the uh, like, I don't know, tiny hole in the hole that sinks the whole ship. Right. And what if it isn't like, I guess that's, that's my okay. question is like, what if, what if, uh, what if we actually said that the more human a God becomes, the more relatable they become and the more useful they become. Um, and, and yeah. what does that, what does that mean about Christianity? What would that mean about Christianity if we thought that? Well, sure. But also, I mean, and I don't want to get Maybe we should cut this off because I have a lot more to say about this. But also- I mean, I think this is a perfect pivot point for if you like this conversation, <laughs> stick around for episode two. Do out in two weeks. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna leave it with give us a teaser. Give us. I'm gonna leave it with like, if it, if God becomes more accessible, mm-hmm. and that makes humanity believe in God more, then. At what point is humanity believing in God? And at what point is humanity just believing in humanity? Mm. Yeah. At what point is humanity believing in humanity? Ooh, this is going to be a good discussion, Sarah. I'm feeling it. I'm only good at asking questions. I'm not good at answering them. You're asking some, you're asking some damn good questions though, Sarah. And that gets, that gets, uh, that gets me titillated. It gets me excited. It gets my hackles up. Good. I don't know if that's a thing. Uh, I like to get Lara's hackles up. Those my, hackles, are my hackles, my hackles are up and titillated. <laughs> um, <laughs> Y'all, we are so excited to have you here. Um, you can follow us at Bible Bitches on Twitter, um, at Bible Bitches on Instagram. At yes. Bible Bitches Podcast. At Bible Bitches Podcast. Also, you can uh, go to our website, BibleBitchesPodcast.com, and uh, where you can see our content. Also, please uh, become a Bible honorary Bible Bitch on our Patreon. There's links on our Bible Bitches Podcast website. 
Yeah. Um, and you can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, all of the places. Um, and we also really want to thank uh, at Yo Eves, who uh, Miss Eves does our uh, intro and outro music. Um, she's brilliant and wonderful and talented. Um, yeah. And we're just so excited to have you listen. All right. We'll catch you next time for part two of Marvel Gods and Monsters. Yes. Love you. Bye. Bye.